Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. Today, my guest, super excited to share with you, uh, my fellow ASCA board member, Coach Herbie Bam, joining us today from Greensboro, North Carolina, where he and ASU are at the U.S. Open, getting ready to uh, attack some long course, fast swimming times here in the middle of the season. Herbie, it's great to see you as always. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for, for having me. I'm excited to do this. You got a nice little Airbnb set up there in old Greensboro for the week. Yeah, it's it's really nice. It's funny. I've told some of my kids I've been to Greensboro. We come to Greensboro a couple times a year, and I've only seen one street. And um, between the same hotel and pool, so now I've been doing the Airbnb, and it's Greensboro is actually a pretty nice town. I'll tell you what, man. There's not bad barbecue in that city. You can find oh, yeah. some good spots. Yeah, no, it's it's. I've actually really enjoyed. It. I'm staying downtown, get to see a little bit more than just the. The hotel mile and a half and pool <laughs> that I normally see. For sure, man. And I'll tell you, you're one of the most fun follows on Twitter because our conversation today talks about innovation in sprint coaching, yeah. innovation in teaching sprint techniques. You do a lot of dynamic things in the program at ASU. And if you guys at home want to follow Herbie, it's Sir Herb the Third on Twitter. Yeah. You can find some really great videos and content in there. But Herb, you guys are coming off uh, excellent performance at the NC State Invite, your midseason yeah. meet for ASU. What were you most excited about? Certainly had some really fast 200 free, 200 medley relays, some great yeah. relays throughout the course of the meet. Yeah. How are you guys feeling about where you are right now? And what are you looking forward to this week at the Open? Um, yeah, I'm feeling really good. I think the thing that I'm personally most satisfied with with our team was um I mean Leon Marchand unfortunately got sick <laughs> and wasn't uh I mean he he technically swam one day when he probably probably shouldn't have but down somebody who's who, I mean really been our superstar and like you said we still had some very good relays um still broke a school record and did some things without Leon which is exciting to Think of what we can do when we put him <laughs> put him back on those relays. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you mentioned Leon and, and the success that you guys have had, and he's absolutely the front runner and, and the athlete that everybody's looking to. But yeah. the depth in your program yeah. over the last two and a half, three years has really expanded. And yeah. it leads me into my next question, which is you and Bob have a really unique way of training your athletes and it speaks to a lot of Bob's philosophy over time that each athlete really needs certain specialization everybody's unique right so how do you and Bob break down your training groups you use some fruit to delineate who's training yeah. where uh, but talk to us a little bit about how the training groups are broken down and then how you move athletes back and forth in a hybrid situation yeah yeah so we um really gave the groups fruit names rather than sprint group, distance group, just to kind of break away from that way of thinking. Um, because I think some people there's positive and negative terms to do it where it's like, okay, you swim two days a week in the distance group. They're like, some people, <laughs> some people don't like that as much as saying, Oh, you're training with the grapefruits for a day. Um, so we kind of do that just to, give it an arbitrary name, but, but do give it a label. Um, and yeah, it's, it goes back to the, the physiology. I think that's what 
Bob, myself, and every coach on our staff agrees on the most is that, um, I mean, the physiology is what, what matters the most. And it's looking at each individual's unique physiological strengths and weaknesses that they bring um, on a daily basis and kind of making a program that gives them the ability to work their strengths while developing those weaknesses. And that's something that is very unique with each person and something that changes very much so over time. So seeing how certain individuals develop um, and then being willing to, to change that is, is really important. I mean, a, a good example is uh, Julian Hill, who's a fifth year senior now, who's been a very good, I mean, he's our um, one of the best 500 freers in the country. Um, has been the whole time and now he's actually um, trains in the, the mangoes which is the <laughs> the sprint group um, five afternoons a week so he's doing kind of more hundred focus training um, and getting I mean getting faster and faster at the 500 so it's kind of looking at what he needs but but even though it's like yeah we give it that label of of hundred focus it's like well we really think about okay what's he What's he missing? Um, he's kind of missing that just like nervous system speed. He's still getting three real like long aerobic days a week where he's going maybe 7K in, in an hour and a half. Um, so he's getting that aerobic development, but then he's getting some, some like max speed power stuff that he's never been exposed to. And he's getting a response to that because it's, it's a new stimulus for him and a new way for him to improve. Um, and we have to critically think about each person as we go, because there's some people who are the opposite of that, who might not have the aerobic ability to train with um, like something that Leon Marchand's doing on a, a daily, weekly basis. But then after a year or two, they're built up and then they're able to uh, sustain that and then they move into that group. So that's kind of how how we do that rather than saying, OK, everybody who swims 100 free does this every Monday, this every Tuesday, it's looking at the person in front of you and thinking, okay, what do they need? Let's figure that out. I love it, man. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to refer to you as a sprint coach at ASU. I'm going to refer to you as the yeah. mangoes coach. Yeah. <laughs> and what I hear from the mangoes coach at ASU really ties into a talk or a discussion that Bob's had over the last few years. And that talk is training capacity versus training utilization. And it sounds to me like you guys are really thinking about that when it comes to how you develop your athletes over time. Something that you spoke to there that really, you know, struck a chord with me was that when we're talking about the 500 free at the NCAA level, you are talking about an absolute controlled sprint this day and age. When we're yeah. looking at a swim that lasts a duration of four minutes and 10 seconds, you better be out very fast at 200. So speak to that a little bit. Do you see that 500? Really, it's been looked at kind of at as a middle distance event more so in the last few years. Now it's it's starting to creep into that long sprint category if I'm yeah. talking in Spalo term, Salo terminology. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I the reality, in my opinion, is that it changes over time. I think if you're a 13-year-old swimming a 500 free, you just don't have the power or utilization really to be able to sprint you just like your muscle fibers you just don't have enough of them to really need that so you kind of have to get there from a more aerobic side of things um but 
I mean, most of those people, yeah, they might be going really fast ones, might be going 450 or something. But you just watch the way they move. They're taking 18, 20 strokes a lap. It's like the wheels are are spinning at a high rate the whole time. And then when you watch these these really good guys who are going 410s, 409s, they're going three kicks, nine strokes every lap. And every single one of those strokes, they're holding a ton of water. So it's more of a strength-based movement in which they're doing. So to get there, you kind of have to develop in a certain way. And um, I mean, solve the problems as you go. Not, I, I think one kind of mistake a lot of people make is, is recognizing what you said, which is absolutely true. And then saying, okay, I've got this 12 year old who's pretty good. I want them to be 410 one day. So let's look at what the 410 guys are doing and make them swim exactly like that, make them train like that. It's like they're not, they're not that. <laughs> so you kind of have to give them the tools that they need to take the next step and stay in one step ahead of them. And if you start getting too many steps ahead, you're actually impairing the athlete's development rather than allowing them to to grow kind of in the way that they need to. So they're thriving throughout their whole career. So well said, Herbie. And I think, you know, to the club coach audience that watches this show on a weekly basis, what is something that you want to tell the club coaching community that the athletes were populating your college teams with? What do they need to do better? So I think we have this interesting line drawn in the sand to where we're like, team sprint or team distance. And you can't, you can't do both. In my opinion, you kind of have to do both. Um, you have to be able to like, like even with the sprinters on our team, there's at least one, normally two or three days a week where they're, they're swimming a relatively high volume or it might be five or 6,000 in a session. Um, a lot of that is low intensity. So we kind of think, okay, we want to be fast. So everything has to be fast or we want to be distant. So everything has to be long and, and neglect a part of what, what each athlete needs. And in my opinion, it's the balance of how each thing works across a week and a month and kind of a more long-term view of it, rather than trying to hit what's, what we think is the most important thing every single practice. And sometimes going kind of away from what they're used to is, is something very valuable. Um, but it, it goes back to that's what we're, that's kind of what our sport is. It's like having metabolic flexibility of being able to work at a very high rate anaerobically and aerobically and kind of balancing both of those. Um, and if you neglect one, the other will be impaired. So that's, that's what I would say. I think I, I mean, for the most part, I think a lot of, of club coaches, I think in, as a country, we're just getting better and better. Um, but it's tempting to label yourself something and being like, okay, I'm the, I'm the sprint coach. So all we do is sprint every single practice. I think, I mean, I certainly enjoy that, but even the kids, I think like when it's okay, you've sprinted six practices in a row, having the ability of just like long sustained, even thinking of like hitting a certain number of strokes the entire practice, but keeping it smooth is valuable. Oh, absolutely. Especially from a, a maintenance standpoint, right? Where we have to have a certain level of aerobic conditioning to complement what we're doing on that neuromuscular level. And, and I, I'm really anxious to hear about that. So 
when we yeah. think about the mango program at ASU and the the short distance athletes yeah what types of equipment are you using on a regular basis uh as many things as possible literally um and and i i'm consistently trying to invent new things <laughs> i mean some of the kids know this some of them we use a couple times and it's like okay that didn't work um but that's something that personally I, it's been a pretty big change for myself um when i first five six years i coached i was very um pure in least amount of equipment possible like just just swim don't don't change too many things now it's it's the opposite of that to where it's constantly introducing new things new types of resistance new types of things on our hands wearing them differently um different combinations of it so we do a lot of um one paddle, other paddle, um, buoy at ankles, buoy normal, um, in different types of fins, all the, the different equipment. My current um, invention that I actually think is super valuable is like the sponge that I know a lot of teams have used. We just have a little mesh bag with sponges in them. Um, and there's just a little rope tied around there, but it actually, I actually think it overloads a different part of the stroke than um like a normal bucket or power rack does because the the rack like you can see it the racks it's one of the best things to force a high elbow because you can't you'll be pulled back if you don't but these sponges move through the water differently so once you start accelerating a rack it's kind of going with these it's it's like a con it's a more constant thing so it puts pressure on the end of the stroke um so what i try and do is it's constantly seeing kind of what what they're doing, how they're moving, and trying to add new things that that actually messes it up, and see if they're able to do it despite the um, changes that they're experiencing, and that's how they get the awareness of it. I guess to, to explain why I think that way, um, just probably going back to what <laughs> what most club coaches need to know. In my opinion, technical learning from a top-down approach, like prescribing okay, here's what the technique's supposed to look like. Here's what we're trying to think. In, in all honesty, I think is incorrect. I think it's a more bottom-up model where they're having to solve the problems themselves. The, the least words that the coach can say, the better. Um, so that's why we add all these different types of equipment. Like I said, where we'll use the buoy at the ankles. If somebody's hands are sculling around this way, um, that normally means their hips and legs are moving back this way. So having just the buoy at the ankles kind of forces it to stay there. Then once they succeed at that, we have just a band that we put around their legs. Um, I can I can post my my very cheap version of that. I've, I've been making them out of duct tape. So you can make the whole team for $5 rather than $20 a <laughs> thing. Um, so we use that a lot. Um, and then once you're good at that, you'll do it with one paddle, just the other paddle, then do it fast with one paddle. So it's constantly trying to force them to build the awareness um, to do that. And then like the final stage would be doing that with resistance as well. So they're really having to put power into each stroke while keeping stable with their, their body and transferring all the energy forward. Um, so yeah, all of the equipment we can, but only prescribing equipment that's like helping the individual's problem. Because just adding equipment just for fun um, 
has its place sometimes, but you'd rather it be fixing the technical problem in which they're currently experiencing. I love the phrase of helping the athletes solve problems on their own. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's such a critical part of learning, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's, I mean, that's literally our, our whole job <laughs> in a way, because then when they get to the race, they're the ones solving the problem. We can tell them as much as we want beforehand, but once, I mean, once it's time to dive in, they have to have the ability to kind of self-organize all of the things that they know and do it as fast as possible hopefully without really thinking too much. So that's where we have to um, try and put them in that mindset in practice. I really picked up on the fact that feel or the scientific word kinesthetic awareness or proprioception yeah. is really important to you. And, and that's why you use a lot of the equipment. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, exactly. Cause that's, that's everything. Um, and I think it's like, I mean, it goes back to the, you're trying to teach without words and you're giving them the problem solving ability to know where their hand is, why it's pulling a certain way. And they don't have to be able to describe it. And the, the other thing is the coach doesn't necessarily have to be able to verbalize it for it to, to change, but you do have to give them the kinesthetic awareness of knowing what's right and wrong. Um, I think an error that I made as well early in my coaching career was constantly trying to, okay, I have to be able to describe it really well, show them on video. They need to see what we're working on and be able to explain that. And if they can't do that, it's, it's incorrect. But, but now I kind of realize that's untrue. If they're kind of just getting the feel for it, sometimes they can't put it into words or sometimes the words they use don't make any sense. <laughs> but they're, they're doing it right and they're making progress. So it's like, okay, that's what we want. Um, and sometimes that's different than what the coach believes or wants to, or, or thinks should be happening. Sure. Yeah. I think that's an important point. And talk to us, Herbie, about resistance and what resistance looks like inside the mangoes program. And yeah. in terms of whether you use it every day, whether you use it, uh, you know, two or three days a week, how it's used in the program. And, uh, and then we'll dive into some of the X and O's of your sets. Yeah. So that's, that's the biggest change I'd say from th this year is we're, we're trying to use resistance literally every practice, um, which I'd never done before, but I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to see this first semester, kind of see what happens. We'll, we'll see how it works at the mid season. Like it's a, if it doesn't work, we can just scrap it, but um, let, let's try that. So yeah, we're doing it all the time. I think the most extreme thing we've done, we had a couple days that were probably over 3000 where every single, there was a 200 warm up. everything after that was on resistance. So yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's quite a bit. Um, and they've done very well. So, I mean, it, it's going back to that um, kinesthetic awareness and just the ability to hold strong water um, and being able to, yeah, just move everything directly forward, um, whether we're going fast or slow. So we do a ton of stroke count stuff as well to where um, I mean, three and eight is kind of our standard smooth swimming where it's three kicks, eight strokes every lap. Um, so that's 
a, a big focus, but with the resistance, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So the one thing I always say during our biggest resistance days is it's like, it's, we're trying to improve our ability to express force and force equals mass times acceleration. Um, so we have to improve either the mass in which you're moving forward or the acceleration for force to be increased. Um, that's, I guess, one thing that a lot of swim coaches, there's this term for power. And sometimes it's, I mean, what, what does that mean? It's kind of an abstract term in, in swimming a little bit. That's why I like to use just the ability to express force. Um, so certain days when we're doing that, it's okay. Mass is as high as possible, or we'll do buckets with as much weight as you can. I mean, Jack Dolan, one of our top sprinters, um, can he's done almost 200 pounds in the bucket. Like we actually put weights in the bucket and can do that where he's going. We'll normally go like three kicks, 12 strokes, which is about the kicks and strokes of a 25. Um, and as much weight as you can do while still getting about halfway or to the 10 meter mark. Um, so we'll, we'll load that up. And it's been really cool as well with the, um, a lot of the women on our team, cause they hadn't been exposed to that before. Um, like the first time we did it, it was like, okay, we're going to see how much weight you can go. And they were like, we've never done more than 30 pounds in this before. And it was like, okay, we're just going <laughs> to, we're just going to load it up and see how it goes. Um, and some of the girls are pulling over a hundred pounds. So it's like, it's, it's really, it's really impressive. And I think that's directly translated to, um, how fast they can sprint. And it, it's pretty interesting because I've actually seen almost a more, a higher correlation to their speed endurance at like the end of a hundred when we've added all of this. Um, and I think that's just, just the way the muscle fibers work is it's like normally those fast switch get fatigued, but when you do a 3000 yard practice with resistance the entire time, <laughs> like that's getting some, um, metabolic development as well. So yeah, basically we're doing resistance all the time, but in the same way where it's trying to look at what the, the athlete is missing, not just what they're good at. Cause that's what, um, like Jack Dolan's a great example of somebody who's super powerful and always really good at that. But we have to, um, sometimes do that and the ways he doesn't like it as much as when we're doing like higher reps of lots of racks on like 30 seconds. So he's able to produce that power under metabolic fatigue. So it's kind of changing what the focus is each time we do it. Um, but again, looking at the individual and making the decision as to what they need in order to take another step forward. Lactate is a fuel source. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So what does that resistance look like? Is it just the buckets? Is it towers? Is it cords? Um, it's, it's normally racks, buckets, sponges is our main ones. Um, that's, that's what, what's in the, in the mix every single week. We don't, I, I would, we don't, we don't have that many cords. That's the only reason why we don't do that many. And in Arizona, it's so hot. The cords only last so long. So almost every time we use them, one of them snaps. So it's kind of like safety reasons. <laughs> We've moved on from that. Um, but yeah, those, those are kind of the big three. Um, racks is, I, I love the power racks because we, we always time how long it takes to just move the rack up. Um, that also gives very good feedback as to how they're moving. So if the racks jerking up like that, well, then we know there's a point in their stroke where water isn't being held. So sometimes we'll do it to where I'll have them partner up 
And it's like, okay, your, your partner just watches the rack and tells you how it goes up. And the goal is to get it as smooth as possible. Um, that's really good for underwater kicking as well, because we're all good at kicking down, but most of us are pretty bad at kicking up. So it's like crazy jerky most of the time. And it's like, okay, just not super fast, but just try and get this going up as smooth as they can. And by changing the, the problem to, okay, you're trying to move this weight up as smooth as they can. The solution is kicking good both ways. Um, but they kind of figure that out without me saying, okay, you really got to hold on the up kick and then whatever they kind of feel there. Well, if we do something like that, we'll normally start with that and then go right into underwaters and alternate back. So they're kind of putting the pieces together in their mind, at least hopefully, um, about what it's actually doing. Um, so that's, that's really how we use the racks, the buckets as well. I like those because we can go full 25s. We can put as much weight as we want in. So there's a lot of um, different ways. It's not as measurable. Like you can time the full 25s, but that's more of the, the strength of the mass side of the force equation that we do. Um, so it's, it's controlling and kind of going back and forth and looking at which part of the, of the stroke of the race is being overloaded with which type of resistance. I really appreciate that. And to your point, you're changing or teaching or, or somebody's learning how to move before they add speed to it. Yeah, exactly. I love that. And then the other thing that I wanted to ask you, Herbie, in relation to how you use resistance, what are you doing in terms of contrast? Do you have a set where maybe we're resisted for a couple 25s or a 12 and a half or 10 meters or whatever it is, and then we take it off and we do the same distance without it? Yeah, really almost every set <laughs> um, is we have some type of contrast because I like that because it's, again, we're trying to teach them what the resistance is doing without sitting them down and explaining because they don't really, some of them don't care um, and they don't really need to know exactly the physiology as to why we would do this. But when it's like, okay, you're going a super heavy bucket and then a 25 fast, they'll notice how their stroke changes. Um, so then they kind of get the, the awareness of that. And there's the, the proprioceptive benefits of when it's like a very heavy thing to a very fast thing, they'll recruit a little more muscle fibers on the fast thing. Um, so we do a lot of that. Um, almost every set we do, we have at least a couple reps of fast full swimming at the end of it, whether that's 15s, 25s, um, a lot of different, um, ways to do that, but just making sure they're always kind of keeping that feel of the, of the specifics of what we want it, how we want it to translate to the race. Um, so yeah, pr like, like I said, pretty much every time it is, uh, slightly different every single time. I mean, I at least try and make it like a little bit new problem for them to solve every, literally every, every practice. Um, so we're not repeating a ton of sets, but I'd say the way in which we're doing it is, is pretty similar all the time. Like, a I mean, a specific one would be, we'll go like four rack pulls on 30 seconds, take the belt off two 25s on a minute fast, extra minute rest, maybe three times where we'll either go up in weight each time or go down in weight each round with the racks on. Um, and it's kind of what we want um, 
the stimulus to be and kind of what the sensory feedback to be as well. Because when it's going up each time, it's like, okay, I got to increase this intensity. Um, like at the end of a race where it's getting harder as you go. Sometimes we want the opposite. So you feel better as you go. And those 25s unweighted get, get faster. That's kind of how I measure what the, what's happening to them is like looking at that. Okay. We're doing the same 25s fast after if they get slower, well, then this is, this is a very fatiguing set, which has value. If they're getting faster, well, then it's like, oh, this is doing something to their nervous system that's actually making them swim faster. Like, well, actually, here's a set we have repeated pretty often because it's super valuable. The first time we did, um, we do a lot of like our max speed stuff will be suited for it, like, like all the time. Um, the first time we had done a lot of, 25 max speed from the blocks we measure all the time because it's very simple the very first time we did this set every single person in the whole group went best times every 25 so it was like okay we got to do this and it's super simple it's just eight 25s from the blocks odds with fins evens without fins so when they're going with fins and we have people going seven twos and stuff it's really exciting because you just hear the fast times but then literally everybody like breakouts were better everything looked really good on the no equipment and each one was faster as we went so it's like okay there's actually learning that's occurring from when they do that overspeed um fins personally i think it's two things one when you have the fins on the way you enter we don't really think of like how streamlined our feet are but when kids always dive like this or things like that it fixes it with the fins so like everybody's starts looked really good and it's like, okay, they have to come up and hit this breakout really well. Like we kept the 15 meter rule in effect there. So they had to be like using those fins, but actually hitting a breakout well, because they'll just be slow if, <laughs> if they miss the breakout. So it really like overloads those two parts of, of the race, which is super important in a 50. Um, so that's something we'll do pretty often. Um, and that's a contrast kind of, that that we we regularly do but there's a a ton of them and kind of we've done it with with each type of equipment the swimming fast feels good to the athlete and that's where that neuromuscular learning is happening so herbie if you want if you if you have the ability or you just want to talk about it feel free to share your screen or talk about some of your favorite sets to do yeah so i'll just um talk about it first we've got so kind of my um Actually, I will we'll share my screen because this will make more sense to put it in this way. So this is um, one of my favorite ways of looking at it. And this is where like Bob and myself agree on. And this is where we kind of have this common language with the, the fruit groups of where people go. So this is the Gonderchuk pyramid who it's actually made by a throwing coach. So this was a guy who coached the hammer throws. Fun fact, he actually coached um, gold, silver, and bronze for five Olympics in a row in the hammer and has coached every world record holder in it since he had it in, in the 1960s. So he knows his stuff there. And it's cool when, in my opinion, when completely different sports are very relevant. Um, so when we have this, when we look at the event, the very top, if you're thinking 100 free, we'll just do that to kind of keep the language going here. Competitive exercise is very similar to that. So if you're going 100 free from a push in practice, a 75 from a push, a 75 from the block, something that's 
not much different than the race whatsoever. These specific developmental exercises, that's kind of the core of feedback into how the whole training process is going, um, at least for us at ASU. So these are test sets that we're doing every single week. And that's something that replicates the movement of the race, as well as the physiological, um, more metabolic system found in the race in the way in which you do it in the race. So like for, for hundred freers, four fifties on two minutes is kind of the simple, as fast as you can go, we write down the times. Then every week we kind of make changes to that based on how they looked the previous week. So for example, if we have a, a hundred freer who does that, let's say they're trying to go 44 in the hundred free minimum, they've got to be 22 O's really on all of those fifties if they want to be able to do that. So let's say we have somebody who goes 21, five, 21, six, 21, nine, 23, two. Well, then it's like, okay, we know it's that, I mean, they're, they're fatiguing <laughs> when, when the lactate gets high, when they're, when they're under that hard anaerobic stress. So the specific preparatory exercises is something that kind of trains that in a less specific way. So this is the, the rest of the week that we were looking. It's like, okay, how, does, how is this going to improve those specific developmental exercises? And then the general preparatory exercises is just looking at the individual. What are they lacking? So it, for actually a lot of our kids, it's like mobility in certain areas. So we have to organize that in their weight training, like kids who can't move their shoulders and spine very well they're not going to be very good underwater kickers. So we have to give them some general ability because they're just lacking that. Then, okay, how do we apply that in a specific sense? Now, how do we apply it in the race pace setting? Um, and it's kind of that continuum that goes back and forth. And that's where going back to how we organize it at ASU, it's, it's really good because we're getting, I mean, we're testing these every single week, getting feedback with how they're doing, how they're progressing. And kind of the rest of the week is getting, um, it's a little more individualized and, and sometimes can be a little abstract and a lot of moving parts. But when we're coming back and, and testing and kind of understanding what that test means, um, that's, that's what it'll go. So here, wait, I know it was, here's the, this was um, kind of how we, everybody on our team last year, so these were all the hundred swimmers, how they progress. So it's like, we're doing a different set. So that specific developmental exercise, the sets, it's not just four fifties on two minutes every time it's different. It's actually different every single time, but kind of the same idea. The way it changes is looking at, at how, how the individual goes. So if that person who did the four fifties and died at the end, well, it's like, okay, we're going to have to maybe go four on four minutes and see if they still die. Um, and, and get it to where they're maintaining and then intensifying that as we go. Um, but here's, here's how we did and can just kind of walk you through all of these. And um, so first let's start with this total average. This is the average of every set they did um, the whole year. And like we said, it's not literally every week, but it's pretty often that we're doing them and recording them and looking at the times. And this total average times two, gave their projected time, which is a pretty accurate indicator. And then you can see what their, their best time of the year at Pac-12s or NCAAs, which one they went to was, was spot on, where across the board, everybody is going um, 
kind of exactly what they were training to do. Um, it's always nice when it works out, <laughs> when it works out that way. Huh. Um, but this is where we can get really individualized. And so we're getting this feedback each week and kind of as we go through the season, we're seeing if they're trending in the direction we want. If they're trending in the wrong direction, that's when it's like, hey, we need to rethink how we're doing this. Maybe they need to go in a different group. Maybe they just need to do something different. Maybe it's just how they're sleeping or something like that. Um, but this is a huge part of our program and it's it's pretty good when we have something like this and that's where like Bob, myself, all the other coaches on staff can can look at the data with how people are doing and um, yeah, dis decide what they want to do there. So um, we'll just, this won't take too much time, but go through kind of the how it progressed. So we started the season, this was three times 100 smooth, where I remember it was just hitting like a kick and stroke count on the 100, a 50 fast. I think they were both on two minutes. So it wasn't like a tight interval or anything. And this was the time they went there. Then the next week, we kind of did the same thing, but it was a 25 fast, a 50 fast. So it's like, okay, it's it's the same total thing. So it's ended up being six reps on two minutes. One was a 25, one was a 50. We're just measuring the 50s. Um, so that's kind of how we do that. This fartlek is the same thing, but it was more of aerobic side. Um, so it would be, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was probably like three 100s on 115, hitting a kick and stroke count. 150 easy, 150 fast, four times, something like that. So we kind of have the set, the same set three times where the first time there's a little aerobic fatigue before the 50, but very little because it's hundred on two minutes and it's not fast. Then it's like, okay, more anaerobic endurance where it's 20, it's everything's fast. Um, then it's very much aerobic endurance. And by doing those three sets, you can really see what the individual was, was weakest on. And that's where we need to train. Um, sure. so that's how we guided that moving forward and just kind of, basically that's how we made the decision of what to do the next week, every single time. Um, and I think that's the most valuable thing because, um, there's a lot of great sets out there, but they work because it's, it's what the individual needs at that time. So trying to learn the skills of how to make the set, why to make that, how to change it next time is is the most important thing um and basically this is a valuable thing that took me a while <laughs> to figure out is there's the the volume doesn't really matter too much for these specific developmental sets i used to always want them to get more 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 and like okay we got to get to where we're doing 1250s on two minutes at the same speed we're doing 450s and then come back down now we just kind of keep the volume constant all year long, but change how we do it. And that seems to have a bigger impact than changing, changing the volume. Obviously the volume on some stuff, that's all that matters as to what to change. But on these, it's staying relevant to the race. And if the volume gets too high, well then it's no longer like a two, like a 100. Um, so it's deciding what this, set is training keeping it specific to that and then changing it that way and i mean with with all of these guys some of them swam 200s a couple of them swam a 500 um some of them swam different strokes so this is just one very small part of the whole program but it can give you a lot of information as to how they're progressing
I love it, Herbie. And I, you know, I think it's so great to see, you know, you look at October last year and a guy like Jack Dolan, who, who's got some pure speed, you know, six fifties on four minutes. And yeah. I'm assuming they're not swimming down at all in between, right? They're just marinating. Um, I kind of give them the option. Normally we're in like three or four in a lane. So it's like, Hey, everybody gets clear water as they go. So most of the time they can't, I, I tell them they can if they want. Um, sure. But when they're, when there's four people in a lane and we're doing something like that, we'll go 45 or a minute apart. So everybody gets to swim down the middle. So it turns into just standing, waiting, <laughs> waiting for your turn. And then you look by the time you guys got to December, he's doing, you know, twice that amount on a little bit more rest or on, on a little bit less rest and he's going yeah. faster. So you got to yeah. love that as a coach. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's where um, it kind of goes back to like how we do the power is based off, off some of this. So like if somebody's lacking speed, their power always needs to be long rest as fast as you can go. Cause it's their nervous system that needs to get firing. If somebody has a ton of speed, but is is dying, well then it's their, their strength and power side of it's pretty good, but their metabolic ability is not where it needs to be. So that's when we do the power on short rest. Um, and it's looking at, at the individual as well, rather than what's, what's cool or what the coach prefers. It's, it's trying to understand what that individual needs and doing it that way. Or if they're um, fading at the end of, of these sets or the end of their races, well, then it's like, okay, we need to do kind of more, longer power where it is full 25 fast and we've done um like with the with the sponges we put several of those on and done like 825s on a minute where okay it's that's a 15 second rep so it's pretty long that's that's pretty metabolically taxing by the end of that much more than just a traditional power day should be um or at least how how i've done it in the past so it's looking at the individual but if they, um, if you know what their weakness is, you know where to train and that'll kind of get them a step forward. And then that weakness is going to change. So you have to reassess and change their program for that. What's great about these two is the, the skeleton of the set itself can be used for any stroke, which is great. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's where a lot of these, like you can see some, some people swam multiple strokes. Some people only swam just stroke. Some people did free as well as their stroke. So we're kind of changing it. And again, trying to look at what, what they need train um, and, and doing it that way. And like, I mean, every per nobody has all of them filled in because some of them did some of these days, they did more 200 stuff. Some of them, they were sick. So it's, it's never, it never goes exactly as planned, but <laughs> if you can kind of make that plan, um, about them and like I, I mean i've said it before i normally decide what we're doing next week during during the set like halfway through the set i kind of know okay next week we got to do this um or this person like we got to change this so it's being aware and being observant rather than having this planned out like that's that's i think the biggest lie we tell <laughs> we tell each other in coaching is like oh i've got this plan for the whole season like this is going to, we're going to do this week one all the way through. And then we're going to finish here. It's like, no, I like most of these, some of these, I had a plan and 10 minutes before the practice was like, actually, this is going to be better. A lot of times that turned out to be right. Sometimes it's wrong, but <laughs> it's, 
it's being like observant and reactive to the results is better than being okay we got to stick to this plan because it's the plan um because the the plan really the plan is to not have a plan and to to watch each athlete and find out what they need and that's where we're going to actually make the adaptations um because that's what periodization is i think we've a lot of people perceive periodization as like okay there's these steps that you follow and these things you go through but all periodization is is change and it's change with trying to get the desired adaptation so keep the adaptation in mind before you keep the whatever label you're giving your periodization in mind yeah no doubt no doubt now one of the things that i love watching um on your on your twitter is uh yeah. you know you do some odd distance kind of stuff like yeah. The kids will dive in, they'll go all out 12 and a half, they'll flip in the middle of the pool, come back a different stroke. How do you come up with that? And, and how much do the kids enjoy that? I think they enjoy it quite a bit. I'm sure some enjoy it more, <laughs> more than others. Um, but basically, what I want to do, so most of the, to give context as to where those are, most of those drills we do at the beginning of practice. What I actually want to do, and part of the reason why I'm doing that, um, is to almost give them a mindset of play. And it's, again, going back to that problem solving. And it's like, okay, we're moving our bodies in a way we've never done before. And that's what I actually think is a, a big limiting factor, because we, we start to just repeat the same things over and over and over again. And there's very little learning once you've done that a lot. So I'm trying to, okay, what's something we've never done before? Like, well, we've never done a handstand into a somersault into a turn. And it's like, by doing that, they're going to like, just get awareness of how their body moves in space. And then hopefully that'll give them a better turn. Worst case scenario, they've, they've learned a little bit about how they move and you can tell like the energy kind of shifts when they're, when they're moving around. I mean, the physiology of it is our cerebellum, which is like basically inside our um, inner ear. That's what keeps us our balance. Um, when that's been moved around and specifically like flipped around and done movements that are unfamiliar, it lights up and stays, stays lit up for hours afterwards. So doing at the beginning, they're going to be more receptive to just their, their, their movement abilities. So that's why I first started doing it. Cause I, I heard that on um, some podcast or something. I was like, okay, I'm going to start with just like some crazy spins and stuff and then try to make that specific and try and make it relative to what we're doing. Um, but yeah, it's exactly that. It's like, I think it's anecdotally, I'm sure any of us, when we've started a new skill, when you when you're learning that it's it's difficult, but then you kind of start almost viewing the world differently. Um, if you've ever like surfed or done a weird movement like that, where it's just so much different than before, it like opens this new window of to like how your body moves, how it reacts to the environment in which you're in. Um, so I'm trying to have new things like that every single time, and at, almost every time we do those, I want it to be new. So it's um, obviously they're, they're recycled as we go, but when there's a, a really good one, it's trying to understand, okay, why was that good? It's like, well, it's because we hadn't ever done that 
And then like the movement was actually similar to a flip turn or um, open turn or something like that. So then we can connect it to where it's like you do this and then do the, the open turn and they kind of like learn how to move differently. Cause that's where, I mean, going back to how sport gets innovative. One of the biggest eye-opening experiences is like, if you've watched how Caleb Dressel does his breakout, he like dolphin kicks through his first stroke there. And I was like showing this video, the video of him doing it and teaching our kids to do that. And then maybe a week or so after that, there was a video of Michael Klim at the 2000 Olympics underwater. He did the breakout the exact same way as Caleb Dressel did it. And it was like this eureka moment of like, okay, they both did that because I don't think either of them, I might be wrong, but we're specifically taught to do that. But they were just so aware of how their body moves that they kind of solved that same problem. And then it was also like Michael Phelps did that breakout the same way. Um, and it's funny because I asked Bob if, if like, did he specifically teach that? And he, he said no. So it was like, okay, he was given the tools to do that, although he wasn't specifically prescribed to do it that way. So you're kind of trying to make this space for the kids to explore and to, to learn new ways to, to move and new ways to problem solve. And if, if the coach gets overly prescriptive of how to do that, they're going to miss out on, on some of the, the learning. And like, I know I learn most of the time by just watching how they, like, I just enjoy watching them, <laughs> watching them do that. Sometimes it's like, okay, you got to figure out how to do a handstand. Um, yeah, like into a somersault, flip, freestyle in, backstroke out, and just watching like how they do that. It'll like, oh, wow, actually we do this. About 50% of the time, it's like after one or two, like, okay, guys, change, like, change it. This is actually, <laughs> this is a bad idea. Do it this way. Um, so it makes it fun and engaging and also allows them to, um, yeah, just just be in a new spot and move in a new, new way. It's still like, it's still a sport. It's still movement. It's still um, supposed to be fun. It doesn't have to be the just four strokes that we have. Um, so allowing the kids that exploration is, is very important in my opinion. Yeah. And to me, it sounds like great physiological activation, you know? Oh yeah. It's just getting them ready to go for whatever that main focus is that day. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's just like you said, it's doing that, but it's, it's doing it rather than like, okay, we got to get through these, like get eight reps of these in it's, it's, um, it's new. It's just like I, one other example is like when we, our kids play six square before, which is um, just four square with <laughs> two more, two more squares. And you can see on the days, like in the springtime when it's first getting nice out and they haven't played in a while and they start playing and you can like hear them all excited after and we come out they get to get to practice early to play that on the days when it's going really well they would normally practice starts out so well so it's like there's some translation to like this just game that they're playing and it's actually preparing them in my opinion better than if we just did okay guys we're going to do a 15 minute dynamic warm up um, it's doing the same thing, but one, they felt like they got to choose to do it and they're being like, it's, they're more reactive and like having to learn on the fly rather than like, okay, we're going to repeat these skips, these, these movements that we've done a hundred times. Um, so it's exciting. Like anytime you do something you haven't done before, it's normally like at least something happens. 
Um, so trying to get them, get them to do that as often as possible is, is great. And then you can go into the specific stuff after, um, but they'll almost always approach that totally through a new lens if you open them up to it. Practice should be a little bit fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I love it. Herbie, uh, we're going to have to do a part two sometime in the spring because I do want to yeah. talk to you about stroke tempo and pace, and we'll do that. But last yeah. question I have for you today is a question I've been asking a lot of guests, and I know it's one that you can share with Bob today and get his opinion on yeah. it. I'll be yeah. interested to hear. We have great speed in America in the 500-yard freestyle. Yeah. We're getting better at the 400-meter freeze, certainly – with what Kieran's done and, and Bobby's swimming really fast. And there's a whole, you got a bunch of guys who are going to challenge that 400 meter free. Why haven't we been world-class in the 400 meter free the way that we can swim the 500 free so fast? Yeah. I think that's a great question that if I knew the exact answer to probably have a lot more <laughs> very fast 400 freers. In my opinion, I think part of it is, is the type of movement that we do just like in the 500 free it's um john t skinner used to say it's short course is serial where it's a series of movements long course is cyclical where it's repeating the same movement over again most of us i know like us at asu texas do a lot of the the threshold like the very 400 specific developmental exercises we do those short course so i think i think it's we just have to start doing those more long course. The problem is, okay, if we really want to do that, we're going to be seven in a lane most of the time. That, I think that's why. So it's almost, um, we have to have to figure out <laughs> how to just spacing wise, get that done in the long course pool. And it's, it's really like more fun to do those sets yards. Cause you can get <laughs> different ways of doing it. Um, lots of like different, um, race there's just a little more variety to it uh i think that's where a lot of the european countries that are doing well they kind of have most of those most of those guys are kind of coming down to a 400 right. um so i think they might be in the stages of their career where it is like oh i'm getting to feeling like i'm sprinting doing coming down to get more 400 200 work um but yeah i mean i i, I don't have it might also just be as simple as there's seven or eight really good guys out there who are who are a little better than what we've got in America right now. But also it's like kind of hard to count out America on an Olympic year. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it, how it plays out. No, I agree, man. I'm super excited. You know, when, when people talk about, <clears throat> you know, world championships and things like that and how the summer went, I'm very quick to remind them that in 2015, we did not swim great at world championships. Yeah. We went into 16 on fire. Oh so, yeah. You know, I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I'm like not that old, but it's been long enough to where it's like, guys, this happens every time, <laughs> like every, every time I don't want to jinx it. Um, but like, as long as I can remember it just being like, Oh man, America looks so bad. Like what happened? We fell off. And then it's like, <laughs> we end up doing all right at the meet. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. There's a lot of, incredible talent out there across the world i think it, it is really good for everybody that it's not like just just in america do we have fantastic coaches they're they're all over the place now um which is good and i think it's just going to force everybody to keep getting better um 
So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see how it goes. Well, I'm excited for you guys. And uh, last quick question before I let you go. Is it hard for Michael to stay away from the pool and, and jump in and, and say hi to the kids or help you guys out with, with things on a, on a weekly basis? I think with three kids and, and a fourth on the way, he's busy enough. <laughs> so I, I think that that's distracts him enough that way. Um, he still works out all the time. He's still like super fit. So he probably, I mean, he, he could be pretty, <laughs> pretty fast if he wanted to. Um, I feel like getting the desire to, to, to train for a 400 IM is a little different than like, he knows, he knows what that, what that takes is it's a little more than the desire to race a 400 IM. Um, so I, I think he's okay on this kind of next chapter of his life, but I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it's, it's part of him will always be, be into swimming, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it also does help. Like he's so close with Bob having it, um, lay on where it's like, I mean, everybody kind of knows it's like, he's, a lot of land success is directly a result of, of Michael. And I think he knows that that was, that was part of it. It's like, you know, I think everybody listening knows that the coach athlete relationship is pretty special to where the coach learns as much from the athlete as the athlete does from the coach. So I'm like, I pretty confident Michael, Bob, Leon would all agree that um, Michael's success is directly helping and kind of a part of what what Leon's doing as a daily on a daily basis and um yeah it's kind of helping kind of nice to have somebody to to pass the torch to you have a very personal relationship as well oh dude that you know if, if you if you've known the story of Bob and Michael and you know the the arc of their journey right now it's just so beautiful it's so great oh, yeah. to see and, yeah uh, it is yeah it's just so great for our sport but Herbie, we so appreciate you, man. You, you're one of the most uh, in, encouraging and enthusiastic coaches in the NCAA today. Super excited to continue to watch your journey. So thankful to have you on the American Swim Coaches Association Board of Directors. Yeah. And uh, wish you guys all the best of luck today. No, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it was great. Great having, uh, thank you for having me on. And yeah, if we want to do a part two, just, just let me know. We'll do that, man. Thanks, Herbie. Sounds great. Yeah, thanks. Bye-bye.